Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland, episode 4 Heart of a Dirty Little Thief, which covers episodes 10 through 13. Our first episode is Dirty Little Secrets. The original air date was March 13th, 2014. The writers were Adam Neusdorf and Rena Mimorn, and the director was Alex Sukretsky. And the title card is The Well of Wonders. Why? <laughs> like the Cave of Wonders. The Well of Wonders. Okay. It's mysterious. Okay. All right. So this episode, Alice, Cyrus, Will, and Anastasia split up in pairs. And here are their subsequent plots. We'll start out with the Cyrus and Alice plot. To break the spell that was cast on him and his brothers, Cyrus must return to the Well of Wonders and plead his case to the guardian who cursed them. Thankfully, for plot purposes, Wonderland just so happens to have a Well of Wonders, so no need to travel to Agrabah. Cyrus is unusually taciturn as he and Alice travel to the well. She tries to draw him out with questions about his brothers and how they were cursed, but he only responds by growing more tense and evasive, claiming they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Alice and Cyrus find the path that ends at two identical red doors, seemingly freestanding in the middle of the forest. They cannot walk around the doors, but must choose one to go through. A white knight standing guard informs them that one door leads to the Well of Wonders, and the other door will drag them under. Cyrus has no patience for riddles, but an unusually optimistic Alice likes riddles, and figures out that the knight will only speak to answer yes or no questions, and he always answers with a lie. Having solved the riddle, she chooses the correct door to reach the well, but Cyrus insists on going through alone, eventually snapping at Alice when she protests. Did this whole scene remind you of Labyrinth? Oh, yep. yeah. One of this door leads to the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to bum, 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 certain death. Ooh. And one of us always says the truth, and one of us always lies. Except this is just one dude who looks like Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> this <laughs> she does look like Sylvester McCoy. Like, for a hot second, I was like, is that Sylvester McCoy? No, they couldn't get Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> no, it's Ben Wilkinson. Cyrus pleads his case to the guardian of the well finally falling to his knees and begging for his brother's sake. She tells him she will only lift the curse when the water he stole is returned. He confesses that he gave it to his mother, who is now long dead. Nyx tells him his mother is still alive, and repeats her condition that he return the waters to lift the curse. She disappears without telling him how to find his mother. After his failure to convince Nyx, Alice approaches Cyrus. He realizes she was eavesdropping and has learned of his past which he is deeply ashamed of. To comfort him, Alice confesses that she was sent to an asylum and agreed to a procedure that would have made her forget him. They embrace and resolve to find his mother. Meanwhile, in the village where Lizard and Will partied the previous night, the Jabberwocky finds the lizard's body and cuts out her eyes and gives them to Jafar back at the palace. And poor Lizard, no respect even in death. He uses a spell to recreate the last thing the eyes saw before they closed, and Anastasia's face appears. 
He orders the Jabberwocky to bring him the queen, which will take us neatly to the Will and Anastasia plot. They first stop at the home of Percy the White Rabbit, who Anastasia apologizes to for having terrorized him. She wishes to make amends and become the queen Wonderland deserves, begging him to tell everyone they can trust her now. Will gives a half-hearted endorsement. Warily, the rabbit informs them that Jafar has released the Jabberwocky and offers again to get them out of Wonderland. Anastasia declines and convinces him to muster the people. After leaving the home of the White Rabbit, Will and Anastasia are stalked by the Jabberwocky. Will is ordered back into his bottle, but it is already too late as the Jabberwocky is able to capture both Queen and the Genie. They are taken back to the dank dungeons beneath Anastasia's former palace, where Jabbar has the Jabberwocky psychologically torture Anastasia into using her wishes. Abandoned and broken in her cell, Anastasia is surprised to find comfort in the friendship and loyalty of Tweedledee, who offers her food and wishes to break her free. She tells him not to bother and orders him to warn Alice and Cyrus about the Jabberwocky and Jafar's appropriation of the third bottle. She wants him to tell them to flee Wonderland forever. In the past, more than a century ago in Agrabah, Cyrus and his two older brothers play a card game with a group of tough-looking men. Cyrus wins, though his opponents accuse him of cheating, and a fight nearly breaks out. Cyrus gloats while the losers are removed from the bar. Drunkenly celebrating later on the walk home, Cyrus admits to his naive middle brother that his winning was due to some cheating. They see the men from the bar riding away from their home, and flames suddenly burst through the windows. Their mother is subsequently badly burnt and covered head to toe in wrappings, while a healer does what little she can. Cyrus tells his brothers of the legend of the Well of Wonders and his plan to use the water to heal their mother. They all set out together to retrieve the water. Once they arrive at the Well of Wonders, Cyrus immediately fills the water skin with its magical waters. Nyx arrives and warns the brothers that the water cannot heal their mother because she was always destined to die this way. After demanding they return the water, she disappears back into the depths of the well. While his older brothers are ready to pour out the water, Cyrus convinces them to steal it and save their mother. While their mother is healed and revealed to be none other than the problematic sorceress Amara, Nyx shows up and curses the three brothers saying, you let your desires override the fates. Now it will be your fate to serve the desires of others. In turn, each is enveloped in red smoke and carried into bottles on their mother's table. She screams as all three bottles disappear. And credits. So what were your thoughts on this episode? This episode is so unbearably stupid. <laughs> You cannot convince me that someone as cunning as Anastasia would have crumbled to someone in a bad Spencer's Gifts wig going, you have really bad self-esteem. <laughs> it was idiotic and insulting. The only good thing I can say about this episode is that they seem to finally listen to me about Alice being a battle axe and actually made her a decent person for once. But beyond that, basically everything in this episode felt disgustingly sexist to me in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. Even if everything about the little girl from the ring and her aggression over her kiddie pool brought me a lot of amusement <laughs> and will continue to bring me amusement for the rest of the show. 
I, I actually wasn't expecting the Amara twist. And honestly, if they hadn't written or directed her to be like this heinous groomer, I, I'd be excited and intrigued. As it is, though, I only kind of like hollow laughed at it because it's like, oh, dude, no, you, you can't walk back from that. In fact, it's worse because she saw her own sons in Little Jafar. Like, damn, girl, you nasty. Also, ew to the eyes being cut out of Lizard. Poor thing. Gross. Although, I have to say, I, I want to like the Jabberwocky in, like, as a villain. But, like, I can't fucking take her seriously because the look of her, <laughs> like hair. a bargain basement Jareth. Like, oh, God. It's so bad. It's so bad. When she's allegedly psychologically torturing Anastasia, who Emma Rigby is acting her ass off. She looks great. Like the whole scene, she sold it for me. But I was just like, I can't take you seriously. Like, can I just like fix your hair? <laughs> and it isn't like they're not capable. Like, I I really like Nyx the Guardian. Like, I thought she was pretty amazing. Like, I wanted more of her. But maybe that's just because I'm working with so little. <laughs> and I do have to say, I, I am not a fan of past Cyrus. So this little jackass got humbled being a genie. Yeah. For me, this episode, it wasn't one of my favorites. At least it wasn't the serpent. Mm -hmm. So at least there's that. But there were parts that I, I, I did really like about it. First off, and most importantly, honestly, I genuinely liked Alice in this episode. And spoiler alert, for the most part, with the exception of a few moments here and there, I like Alice the rest of the show. I think her being called out by both Anastasia and Cyrus last episode seems to have made an impact here. And you can see her be more supportive and understanding of those around her in the final push of the show. There's a backslide, which we'll talk about. But for the most part, I actually like our leading lady for the, like, these last four episodes, which was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else did I like? Anastasia made a magic sword. I love that. That was a cool moment. Also, really glad we got this. It was subtle, which was nice and surprising that it was so subtle. But there was a subtle confirmation that Anastasia is, in fact, Cinderella's stepsister. And knowing that her mother was Lady Tremaine and, and all the expectations that were, you know, always on her shoulder really helps the audience, like, understand why she did some of these things. So I thought that was it was nicely done. And it wasn't too, like, eh, eh, get it, get it. Like, it was very subtle. I thought it was well done. And overall, I think Emma Rigby as Anastasia just really brings it these last few episodes. She's she's absolutely fantastic. She's so heartbreaking, but strong. She kind of blew me away. You going into this, I'd love Michael Socha, but Emma Rigby, man, she's so good. Anastasia, my queen. Anyways, that's it for me. <laughs> and now we're moving on to episode 11, Heart of the Matter. The air date for this episode was March 20th, 2014. The writers were Jenny Cow and Katie Weck. The director was David Boyd. The title card featured the Serpent Staff. So I'm going to start with the past scenes, which begin right before Anastasia's wedding to the Red King. She has invited the Queen of Hearts, a.k.a. Cora, to tea to get to know her better. Oh, God, thank God you're here, Cora. The show needed you like five. 
six, seven, ten episodes ago. Yay, everyone's favorite evil mom is here. We love you, Cora. Do something weird. <laughs> oh, she's gonna. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, Anastasia is just the receptive, malleable bit of Play-Doh that Cora desired in a daughter. And she easily manipulates magics and malices her way into Anastasia's trust. Cora offers to teach the Red Queen magic. Anastasia is hesitant to accept this offer, though, as the Red King is opposed to magic. I do like that this is a uh, very poorly headed allegory for, like, you know, women empowerment. <laughs> yeah. Later, Will shows up, like, he, as in he climbs up her balcony, <laughs> asking Anastasia why she turned her back on him like this. He offers one chance to run away with him, asking her to join him at the wagon the next morning. However, unknown to both of them, Cora was listening in. It is she who arrives at the wagon the next morning and convinces him that Anastasia no longer wants him. Surprising to us all, Cora not only does not even attempt to murder Will, but she does not technically steal his heart. For Will asks her of his own volition to take it so as to ease the pain of his heartbreak. She does so, and she keeps it. Will immediately goes along his merry way, which is perfect as it permits Cora to show a fleeing Anastasia that Will isn't waiting for her via the magic mirror. Devastated, Anastasia decides to go through with her marriage and asks Cora to teach her everything about being a queen. Cora could not be a happier psycho mom. After Anna's wedding, the Red Queen is having her first basic lesson in magic as she struggles to raise a fire in a brazier. Cora teaches her to successfully channel her hurt and rage into magic and together they watch the flames burn bright. Cora also makes a comment about not having the Red King around to worry about for too much longer. In the present, Cyrus pays a visit to the Caterpillar and asks for the return of his lost and found compass. Meanwhile, a shrunken Alice sneaks behind the Caterpillar and retrieves the compass while he gives Cyrus the runaround. After they leave, Alice and Cyrus are trying to use the compass to track down Cyrus's mom, Amara. Tweedle arrives and warns Alice and Cyrus on behalf of the Red Queen that she used her three wishes and Jafar is about to cast his spell. Cyrus pockets the compass and tells the Tweedle to lead them to the palace. Tweedle warns them that the Jabberwocky has been released, but Cyrus isn't really phased, although Alice is visibly worried. Although the couple successfully arrive at Anastasia's cell in the dungeon, they run into the shadows and hide when Jafar and the Jabberwocky arrive to see their prisoner. You see, Jafar's spell isn't working, and the problem appears to be Will. The Jabberwocky attempts to penetrate Will's mind, but she can't read him. Jafar comes to the conclusion that Anastasia put a protection spell on him. However, the Red Queen denies that she had anything to do with Will's resistance to Jafar's magic, which the Jabberwocky confirms as she is able to easily read Alice's mind and discover that Will doesn't have a heart. Jafar threatens to slice Anastasia's throat if Will doesn't tell him where his heart is hidden. Will caves and tells Jafar where it's located. Meanwhile, Alice and Cyrus are already en route to Will's heart, and with the help from Percy the White Rabbit, they travel to Will's apartment in Storybrooke. We get a few moments of comedy as Alice and Cyrus discover the joys of electricity before they get back to business and find the heart behind a wall. And man, I hope it was a false wall, because who is going to pay for that damage, huh? <laughs> they foolishly return to Wonderland with the heart and are trying to determine where they can hide it so that Jafar won't find it when guess who shows up? Jafar. So Jafar appears and uses his staff to overpower them and steal Will's heart. 
He tries to kill Cyrus with the magic in his serpent staff, but Amara's remaining consciousness is powerful enough to resist striking down her own son. The staff flings itself onto the ground and Jafar runs like a stooge out of the woods, <laughs> leaving the conduit for his power behind for Cyrus and Alice to grab. Alice and Cyrus use the lost and found compass and put two and two together and realize that Amara is trapped inside of the snake staff. In our final scene, we return to Will and Anastasia in the dungeon, where Anastasia reveals that she would have used the magic from Jafar's spell to turn back time and never have traveled to Wonderland in the first place. She apologizes to Will for everything that she has put him through. She knows he will never love her again, but she asks if he will ever forgive her. Will tells her very sadly, anything is possible in Wonderland. She hopes Will gets his heart back because he deserves to feel love again, even if it isn't for her. Unceremoniously, the Jabberwocky and Jafar return, and the latter cruelly shoves Will's heart back into his chest. Once he has his heart back, Will gets up off the ground and kisses Anastasia. Jafar pulls the lovers apart and kills Anastasia right before Will's eyes. And that's the end of episode 11. What are your thoughts? The end of this episode was absolutely brutal. And I'm so glad I had been spoiled about Anastasia's fate, or else I would have been very, very, very angry when Jafar stabs her, because that was awful. This was the end for Anastasia. I I might have rage quit. I would have been like, just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. There's no real um, point anymore. You mean me with Graham? Yeah. 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 But for the most part, I did enjoy this episode. It was really good to see Cora. She's the worst, but she's our <laughs> worst. <laughs> but she's never boring. She's never, no, boring. never boring. And she's always fabulously dressed. Mm -hmm. She is. I was also surprised that I, I did really enjoy this plot line of Cora basically adopting Anastasia as her surrogate daughter. She was like, you will be my new Regina, but better and blonder. And, you know, she was probably planning on killing will when she met him by their little love caravan but then when will just offered his heart to cora she was like oh cool a new bodyguard i'm like just let him live i think he surprised her a bit because he's just adorable <laughs> and also will's awkward bow to cora was adorable i enjoyed the flashback i thought it was fun speaking of will uh, there is a moment in this episode that kind of destroyed me emotionally in the best way. So I guess congratulations, show you really got me with this moment. When Will and Anastasia are talking about how they used to watch the stars and Anastasia says, you named them all Anastasia. And Will said, it's the most beautiful name I know. It, it got me. It got me good. These two have become, at least in my top five, once upon a time ships maybe even top three i haven't actually sat down to like map that out but they've been my favorite thing this whole show and like that specific scene uh just it really got me i thought it was really lovely cyrus has gotten so sassy now that he's human and that his like brother's lives are like on the line and his past is being brought up did i love the perfect disney princess cyrus we had yes yes i did but i these new layers of him kind of interesting my main issue with cyrus in this episode was just the fact that they had him know nothing of the jabberwocky when in an earlier episode it's shown that cyrus knew all about the creatures of wonderland and taught alice about them so i would have thought he would 
but that's the writing's fault not cyrus's fault i did love him and alice with the rabbit and storybrook especially alice's excitement about will's ice maker was so cute honestly it was just it was a very fun scene i had a blast with that little moment yeah and also when tweedle said secret tunnel both my wife and me uh saying a uh, secret tunnel through the mountains at the same time and uh, that was a fun moment too even though that just happened on our couch and not on the show <laughs> secret tunnel oh my god now that just all came back to me <laughs> oh, oh. Through, the through the mountain secret <laughs> secret tunnel <laughs> Okay. It's the best song. No. <laughs> Simultaneously, the best and the worst episode. <laughs> Secret tunnel. A horsaka right. with his red handprint permanently on his face by the end of it. I know. <laughs> After the shit show The Wonderland has been, I was honestly ecstatic to see Cora. <laughs> it was like seeing an old friend. An old, mean, abusive, horribly manipulative friend. <laughs> Although that being said, even though I understand the inclusion of Korra due, due to it being Wonderland and her being the Queen of Hearts, they really didn't put a lot of thought into her involvement and motivation, and it really goes absolutely nowhere. Even if it is deeply funny to watch Korra, the worst mother ever, who severely traumatized and ruined her own daughters, be like, yeah, I'm totally fit to give advice to someone <laughs> with mother issues. Ma'am, you are a mother issue. <laughs> and... I know I talked about this a little last episode, but dang, if they didn't wait till the zero hour to give Alice a conscience. I mean, I guess it's better late than never, but the Alice we had in this episode and the prior one would have been a lot more believable when we had all the blah, 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 pure of heart nonsense that was happening instead of, you know, the tree murdering, rabbit kidnapping psychopath we had at the time. All right. What about you, Chell? I was so fucking excited to see her. <laughs> we knew you would be. I was like, oh my god, I don't miss you. Don't ever leave me again. And before she even said it, I wrote in my notes that Anastasia is going to be the daughter she always wanted. <laughs> because mm -hmm. the battle is already halfway over with Anastasia. And she's already like marrying a king, like enthusiastically. <laughs> like Cora didn't have to attempt to murder a child or murder a boyfriend to do it. You know, she didn't even have to get her hands dirty. It happened on its own. Like, I totally thought she was going to go outright and steal Will's heart. I, I mean, that's just kind of what she does. And don't get me wrong, she does underplay its importance, but he just, like, hands it to her like a little dweeb. And I love him. It was honestly very funny, that scene, though. And I actually thought that, like, no, I love that scene. That scene was, like, my favorite scene because I... It's kind of hilarious. It was really, like, she was so bewildered, like... Mm -hmm. And that's why I was like, I think she actually admires him. She's mm -hmm. like, I like you, kid. You got moxie, you know? Like, she gently does talk to him, you know? Like, you know, you know, she's going to go through with this, sir. And I think she kind of sussed that from him. Like, she reads people pretty well, you know? And yes, Anastasia was a flight risk, but not in the same, not to the same, like, level that, you know, Regina and Daniel were, I guess. I mean, I, I'm sure she was absolutely prepared to murder Will, for sure. But I think she was taken aback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he charmed her. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. Also, I just really want to give a shout out to Tweedle. I guess this one is uh, mostly credited as Tweedle D. I just love him. I love, like, he's still devoted to Anna. Even though I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you're so kind. Like, he got, he stole bread for her and 
he's like, you're still my queen, you know? And she was oh. really touched by that, you know? Yeah. Well, she might have been the first person to ever be nice to him. I think so, right? Because there's the scene where she's like, "What are your names?" And he's like, "We we don't we don't get names, ma'am. We just get, get our station." Yeah, and we learned that about like this this Wonderland. I'm like, "Oh God, that's terrible! Like that's that's a horrific mm-hmm. twist." Yeah. So I thought I thought it was like just a really sweet moment between those two, and I I just I love that they still include him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. It's a moment, just a little moment of him in the final episode that I thought was adorable. I, me too. <laughs> anyway, time to move on. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. On to episode 12? Yeah. On to episode yep, 12. Episode 12. To Catch a Thief. The original air date of this episode was March 27th, 2014. It was written by Adam Neustorf and Jay Schwartz. It's directed by Billy Gerhardt. And the title card is The Vault of the Queen of Hearts. Here we go. In Wonderland of the Past, the Queen of Hearts army marches through the forest, led by a captain beside which is Will, the Queen's knave. They believe they are hunting down a dangerous murderer when in fact they are merely hunting Alice, who is giving them all a pretty good run for their money. Will breaks off from the team and runs into Alice a few times before being trapped by her. The truth is that Alice's only crime was picking a weeping willow. I mean, was it actually weeping and a sentient being she murdered? She kind of has a history. And Will is under the control of the Queen of Hearts because she possesses his heart. Alice decides he is a decent enough fellow and rescues his heart from the Queen of Hearts' fault. She reverses the command on his heart and frees him, but does not immediately return his heart. She commands him to help her find proof to bring back to her father that Wonderland exists. They first have a pit stop in a pub for a pint. They end up having a conversation about their families, and it turns out it was friendship the two needed all along, and Alice returns his heart. In gratitude, Will decides to help her catch the white rabbit, and the past flashbacks line up as this is the day Alice is meant to meet Cyrus. In the present, Jafar has placed Anastasia in a glass coffin outside of Will's cell and blackmails the knave into helping him reclaim his staff as he promises to bring the Red Queen back to life. Will is freed and joins Cyrus and Alice, who have decided to take the serpent staff back to the Well of Wonders in order to offer atonement for stealing the magic-imbued waters. Will attempts to talk his friends into allowing Jafar to win for the sake of bringing Anastasia to life, but the couple won't budge on their plans, so Will accompanies them. Naturally, he snags the staff, but does not account for the lost and found compass to make the other two easily track him. Alice and Will have a standoff by a cliff where Will accuses Alice of believing her love is the only one worth fighting for, and Alice is forced to reckon with her own selfishness. Alice plummets into the water. Despite not knowing how to swim, Will jumps in after her, and they dry off on the shore and have a heart-to-heart. Alice admits that Will deserves the right to fight for his own love story, but helping Jafar is not the way. Will agrees with this, telling her that she is right. You thought you were alone. Alice finishes for him, but you're not. Meanwhile, Jafar is not eager to hold up his end of the bargain to the Jabberwocky and return the Vorpal Blade to her. She is impatient to be freed, but senses that Jafar's new fear is that he will be unable to pull off the great spell as it requires two powerful sorcerers. Alone in his throne room, Jafar calls for Rafi and Taj from their bottles, giving them a once-over and asking if they know Amara. The brothers deny any knowledge of the woman, but Jafar clearly believes otherwise. Back in the forest, Will and Alice reunite with Cyrus, and continue way to the Well of Wonders when the Jabberwocky arrives of her own volition, realizing that Jafar has no intention of freeing her. She wishes to team up with the trio in the hopes of ridding Wonderland of Jafar 
and promises that with nothing left for the residents of Wonderland to fear, she will be forced to move on. The trio are naturally reluctant to include her in their plans, as she cannot help them with their multifold problems. The Jabberwocky freely admits she cannot, but Amara can. The quartet devise a new plan. The Jabberwocky leads a captive Cyrus to Jafar, while Alice and Will break back into the palace dungeon. Jafar is only mildly impressed by this gift, as he wanted the staff, and makes condescending remarks to the Jabberwocky, who is definitely glad she turned heel on him. In the dungeons, Will distracts the guards, who give chase so Alice can use the keys and free the sultan. Up in the throne room, Jafar calls Will back to his bottle's location and violently demands to know where his staff is, or else he swears the knave is to spend eternity in a cell, watching his precious Anastasia rot away until she's nothing but hair and bone. Right behind you, says a familiar voice. Jafar is shocked to be greeted by the human form of Amara. Jafar is surprised that she can counteract his magic with such ease as Cyrus rushes to the knave's aid. Amara points out to her former student that this is between her and him, as such the others should be left out of it. Cyrus asks Will where Alice is, whilst Jafar agrees to Amara's terms before waving his hand and causing Will to return to his bottle in a flurry of orange smoke before he gets the opportunity to answer Cyrus's question. Will watches from the grate on the bottom of his fallen-over bottle as Jafar and Amara confront one another. The sorceress reminds Jafar that he's unable to kill her because he needs the power of two sorcerers to complete his spell, and promises that this fight only ends when one of them dies, so no matter who that is, he loses. They have a sorcerer battle, which ends with Amara shattering a mirror, and as each tries with all their might to push the hovering shards into their opponent, Jafar voices that he finally figured out what she was after before he sends a large shard of mirror flying towards Cyrus, who's managed to break free and take hold of his brother's bottles. A shard impales him fatally in the heart, causing Amara to scream her son's name. All the other shards of mirror drop to the floor, as do the bottles in Cyrus's hands. The former genie looks down at the mirror in his chest, held in by Jafar's magic. Whilst running up the stairs with the sultan, Alice clutches her chest in pain. She falls to the floor, feeling Cyrus's pain. You were never after the bottles, Jafar comes to realize as Amara cries over her wounded son. You were after the people inside of them. Jafar tells his old teacher there's only one way she'll be able to save her dying son. Complete the spell and change the laws of magic. Alice continues to run through the palace halls, still clutching her chest, and when she finally makes it to the throne room, she is shocked to see Jafar and Amara casting the spell they were trying to prevent. Alice spots Cyrus's dead body on the floor and runs over to it, distraught. Soon enough, Jafar's eyes open and glow white with ultimate power. The spell is broken, and the laws of magic are no more, and this episode is also over. <laughs> Chell, what'd you think? <laughs> you know, if the writers had made Jafar an adult when he met Amara, and Amara had been honest with Jafar, when she saw his tender kindness as evidenced by the gratitude he expressed to their neighbor who brought back their little wayward goat. Sure. Why the hell wouldn't she be upfront about the reason why she was hunting down the bottles in the first place? Like she wants to free her sons. Jafar seemed to be healing before things got, you know, really murdery between them. Like this is a story that could have turned really wonderful, you know? But it's like, hello, boys, this is your stepfather, Jafar. Jafar, we're going to be your family now. Fuck that, Sultan. You now have the opportunity to be the dad you always wanted. Bada bing, bada boom. Problem <laughs> solved. I mean, he'll immediately be a widower because the water's got to be returned. But, you know, that's still preferable to, like, what really would It'd be a real good five minutes. It'd be a real good five. I mean, you know, they have... <laughs> I mean, it would be a good five minutes as they transitioned to the boys, like, you know, but they would have known each other for many years and already had that time together. 
And I think that would have actually been kind of sweet, you know, when he gets to learn the meaning of family and what really defines a family. But as we all know, Once Upon a Time has a problem with that, among other problems that they just went for instead. He just got more deplorable. I'm also really glad that Alice got a damn scolding because boy, did she need it in this episode. Like, Will went through hell helping her, and all this time we're told, like, oh, she helped him get his heart back. Like, it was, like, this great, noble, epic quest, and it turns out it was just, like, an errand that they ran in one afternoon. And (laughs) even Disney Princess Reformed Bad Boy Cyrus kind of got on my nerves, too, when he was, like, shitting on Will. So, I'm glad Alice and Will talked it out. And I really did love that line, like, the problem is, is that you think that your love story is the only one worth fighting for. And I thought, yeah, she really needed to fucking hear that, you know? Yeah. Will broke my heart this episode. Michael Socha is just so good and has the saddest eyes. And yeah, that scene you were just talking about, Chell, that was such a good moment. Jafar is straight up fulfilling his promise from the last episode and like setting up Anastasia's body in a glass coffin in Will's gel sale or just outside it was absolutely awful. What a dick. I also was really nervous about the fact that the episode had Team Alice recruit both the Sultan and Amara. The Sultan's a child murderer. Amara has a whole set of problems. I think the writers accidentally put there, but it was yikes. And of course, Team Alice doesn't know these other's crimes, but I was just like, Oh no, don't do don't do redemption arcs for them. Don't do it. Oh no, 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 no. Don't make Jafar's abusers heroes of on the show. That would just be awful. And I know the whole saying, the enemy of my enemy is my ally and all that, but yikes. At least they don't do that with the Sultan. Like, like he he doesn't get really get his redemption. So good because I hate him. Anyways, my favorite part of this episode was probably the flashback. I thought it was pretty fun. It felt very once upon a time, but in a good way. Like I liked seeing the beginning of Will and Alice's friendship. I thought there was some genuinely funny moments, like the part where Will is still like feeling the lingering direction to like kill Alice. He's like, I I think you got to run. I still want to kill you. I thought that part was very funny. And overall, it was just nice to learn a little bit more about Will before Wonderland and you know, before Anastasia, when he was talking about his sister and things like that. Yeah, I, I liked the flashback. And as frustrating as some of the present day plotline was, the heart of the episode for me, even though they had been like against each other in this moment, that Will still dives into the water to save Alice. And in previous episodes, we learned that water was like Will's biggest fear. So it was this nice, like almost like subtle little storytelling moment showing us how caring Will is and how much he still cared about his friend Alice. And I thought that moment as well was very well done. So this was a mixed bag for me with some nice moments. What about you, Lynn? This episode made my blood pressure go through the roof. (laughs) We had so much progress with Alice and like fully walked her back into really selfish territory. Both her and Cyrus treat Will like hot trash for being willing to do whatever it takes to get Anastasia back, even going so far as dehumanize him and refer to him as just the knave for a long period of the episode, instead of by his name when they, especially Alice, are supposed to be such good friends. And it's kind of galling both Alice and Cyrus pulled so many bullshit stunts in the pursuit of getting back together, with all kinds of people's lives becoming collateral in the process. But the second Will is like, hey, please help me. I've literally done nothing but help you to unending personal detriment. 
both Alice and Cyrus are both like, oh, ho-hum, no, no, I don't think I will. On top of that, this episode is again back on its once-upon-a-time sympathize with the abuser bullshit. Like, the fact that she's Cyrus's mother makes her somehow not culpable of all the horrible things she did, and how she essentially created the monster Jafar is today, and it just makes me tired. Being a mother doesn't make you not a sexual predator and a serial killer, just saying. And that's, uh, it's my hot take. Thank you. Thank you for your hot take. Sure. I'll be here all <laughs> week. You live with me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we've got one more. Woohoo! Here we go. Our final episode, episode 13, was titled, And They Lived. The original air date was April 4th, 2014. The writers were the Kitsowitz and Zach Estrin. The director was Kari Skogland. And the title card was The White Rabbit. All right, so we pick up immediately where we left off. And we see that the spell is complete. Alice asks her future mother-in-law if she is able to help the freshly deceased Cyrus. Before Amara can reply, Jafar affirms her capability, but he refuses to share the glory of the newfound power. As Jafar prepares to strike against Amara, the Sultan enters and orders the sorcerer to stop. Jafar instead turns his attention to his father, who states that there has already been enough death adding that the way to show true power is with mercy. Like the mercy you showed the boy who came to you looking for his father's love, Jafar asks, which, there, honestly, got I hate there. the sultan. Yeah. He got you there. The sultan shakes his head, explaining that love was not something he could give to him. Jafar had to earn it. Which made me screech like a fucking banshee and need to take a lap around the apartment because how fucked up is that? Oh, it's like it's, it's, it's so fucked it's up. It's incredible. Like, just it's, when you think he can't get worse, this cock knocker sinks to a new low. Like he just doubled down. Oh, he's irredeemable. Yeah, I hate the guy. Sultan so much. So fucking much. So much. So fucking much. Give it to him, Jafar. <laughs> no longer bound to the laws of magic, Jafar is able to finally work his newfound powers over his father. The sultan now looks at the man before him with love in his eyes, greeting him by name and embracing his raised hand with both of his own. The sultan acknowledges Jafar as his son, kissing his hand, stating how proud of him he is, that he's everything a father could ask for, and that his life was empty before he arrived, and how much he loves him. With a single tear running down his cheek, Jafar drinks in the moment, for he clarifies that while he is pleased to feel this affection, it's not quite all that he wanted from him. Jafar reveals that what he wants is for his father to know how it feels to be murdered by someone he loves. Jafar flourishes his hand, 
calling forth water to begin pouring from his father's ears and mouth. The old man collapses to the floor, choking as he calls his son's name. But Jafar only displays cold satisfaction in watching his father drown to death. Now that retribution has been taken care of, Jafar (laughs) (laughs) the Sultan's dead. Thank goodness. Jafar remembers that he was about to kill Amara. However, when he turns around, he is shocked to discover that Amara, Alice, and Cyrus have all disappeared. He storms down to the dungeon with the vorpal blade in hand, using it to entrap the Jabberwocky to the wall in vengeance for turning against him. Figuring he may as well knock out his whole revenge list, Jafar soon releases Will from the bottle and reveals that he brought Anastasia back from the dead. However, in a nasty twist, Jafar has enchanted Anastasia to believe she is in love with him instead of Will. Within the confines of a triangular-shaped force field, Will is forced to watch his true love make out with Jafar. Then, in another horrible flex, Jafar uses his new powers of necromancy to raise the fallen soldiers of Wonderland in order to amass an army of the undead. Jafar goes to greet them and gives them their new orders. Bring him the sorceress Amara and destroy anyone or anything that gets in their way. Meanwhile, Amara called forth the magic carpet to take herself, Alice, and Cyrus to the home of the rabbits. With her magic powers, Amara is able to revive her youngest son. Percy is having a conniption fit, since his home seems to be ground zero for the Wonderland MASH unit, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. But uh, his problems are only starting, as Amara and Alice enlist him to help gather forces to battle against Jafar. The rabbit had a really funny line here, where he was just like, and that's where Cyrus's spleen fell out. It yeah. really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, his little freak out was actually super cute. I mean, poor little cute. dude kind of has oh. a point. They do yeah. just keep bringing their dirty laundry to his doorstep and they're just being like, rabbit, fix it. They do. <laughs> and he's just like, please, I have a family. <laughs> the human trio set off initially to pit Amara's magic against Jafar, but the former is adamant about returning the stolen waters back to the Well of Wonders. Only righting the wrongs of the past will save them. Alice, unwilling to give up on Will or Anastasia, decides to divide their efforts and go with the White Rabbit to gather a counterforce in hopes of disarming and distracting Jafar. They manage to gather a wee army and charge towards the palace. But it isn't long before Alice herself is overwhelmed and taken prisoner before Jafar himself. Alice is super grossed out to see Anastasia smooching on Jafar, which fair. But Jafar soon turns his attention back to her. Standing before the chair she is bound to, he requests that she tell him where he could find Amara, to which she asks if he expects her to help him. He smirks and crouches in front of her so that he's at eye level with his prisoner and promises to break the final law of magic. Change the past so that Alice never met Cyrus, which means she'll never have to come back to Wonderland, never meet her true love, and the truest horror of all, be stuck in that awful place, Victorian England world. He snatches her engagement ring off of her finger and declares it's time for Alice to experience the worst kind of heartbreak, to have never loved at all. Of course, all Alice has to do is tell Jafar where Amara is, and none of those horrors will come to pass. Gathering her grit, Alice tells the evil sorcerer to go ahead and change the past. She assures him that the love between her and Cyrus means everything to her. 
He then suggests that she's underestimating his power, but she insists that he's underestimating hers. I just realized this threat is like a direct parallel to the pilot episode and Alice and the doctor. And at that point, her agreeing to to the surgery, to what we assume is lobotomy, to erase her memories of Wonderland, her memories of Cyrus. And now in this moment, she's she's saying she's more than that. She's more powerful than that. She's stronger than that. I kind of like that. I feel like that's actually well done. Everything Jafar has, from Anastasia's adoration to the army and the Sultan's love, are nothing but illusions brought on by parlor tricks. Two of Jafar's guards enter the throne room with news of Amara. She was headed through a pair of red doors, an hour's ride due east of the palace. Jafar asks Anastasia where those red doors lead. She smiles evilly and reveals that Amara and Cyrus are headed for the Well of Wonders, which is a great source of magic. Alice and Will convey great disappointment, and Jafar asks the Red Queen where he's to find the well. She tells him that it's east of the palace, past the grumbling woods, before kissing him. Jafar then stares at Alice, saying that he'll see her soon, before leaving to put an end to Amara. Shortly after he leaves, Percy arrives and attempts to free Alice. The Red Queen catches them, but Will tries to get through to her. She argues, believing her love for Jafar to be real, but approaches him, asking, If what I feel isn't love, then what is it? Will forces his hand through the forest field that contains him and reaches out to her. He grabs her by the waist, pulls her close, and kisses her, releasing a burst of the magic that is true love's kiss that breaks Jafar's enchantment. At the Well of Wonders, Amara stands before the guardian Nyx and surrenders herself. She surrenders the waters to restore the balance and free her sons. Before she can step forward, Cyrus has a moment of reluctance where he must finally bid his mother goodbye. As Nyx raises her arms in preparation to relinquish the water, Amara is roughly dragged back by magic. Jafar has arrived to kill her once and for all. She perishes violently in the ensuing struggle and subsequently turns into a puddle of water. Before Jafar can strike a killing blow on Cyrus, the ground beneath him erupts and Alice rises from the White Rabbit's portal. Alice tries running towards Cyrus, but she is frozen in place by Jafar, who's back in the game. He says that if she came there to defeat him, then she should have brought more than a sword and a rabbit. It's not me who's going to defeat you, Alice promises, before ushering Cyrus to return the water to the well. He gets a handful of the puddle that used to be his mother and carries it to Nyx, who's retreated, and says that he returns this water to her as he drops it in. Once he lets it go, the water stops in midair as a result of Jafar's magic. He then summons it over to himself and hovers it above his hand in a ball, fascinated. And then he claps the water between his hands, allowing it to dissipate. He then wipes his palms at the stuff. Now that he's stolen her water, He's curious what she plans to do next, but she says that she plans to do nothing. Nothing, Jafar questions, as Alice confirms this by saying, I told you it wasn't me who was going to defeat you, because you didn't steal that water from me. You stole it from her. With this declaration, Jafar turns around to see that Nyx once more has risen from her well, and she tells the powerful sorcerer, this water was not yours to take. You let your desires override the fates. Now your fate will be to serve the desires of others. Thunder and lightning thrash about the sky in her presence. As she outstretches her arm and turns it, her magic is worked on Jafar. 
He lifts his arms to discover that magical binds have appeared on his wrists, and he screams in defiance, attempting to run at Alice and harm her, before shrinking into a flurry of orange smoke and being forced into the genie's bottle that now rests on the ground. Jafar, now powerless, stands within his bottle and begins thrashing around, screaming more and more, but it's too late. His fate as a genie is sealed, and in a blue flash, the bottle he's now confined to forevermore disappears to somewhere unknown. Jafar has been defeated. Nyx then emanates a giant burst of blue magic from her chest, thus undoing all that was done by Jafar since he cast the spell to break the laws of magic. In the Red Queen's castle, Taj, Rafi, and Will are released from the curse. Will's elation is short-lived as he realizes that Anastasia is dead once more. Cyrus and Alice soon arrive, and Cyrus is forced to tell his brothers that their mother is gone, having given her life for theirs so that they may grow old together and build the family that she always dreamed of. Elsewhere in the castle, Anastasia lies dead on a pedestal mattress in the center of an empty hall as Will sits beside her, heartbroken again. Alice and Cyrus come to him with a surprise. As it was not Anastasia's time, Nyx has gifted them with a canteen full of magical water from the Well of Wonders. Cyrus hands the canteen to Will so that he may pour the contents into his true love's mouth. He does this, wiping her lip when some of it spills away, and everyone watches as she is magically revived to life. A short time later, Alice and Cyrus decide to leave Wonderland and begin a new adventure. They return to England where they are married in front of all their loved ones from both realms, and the White Rabbit officiates the nuptials. That night, as the newlyweds say goodbye to their guests, they promise Will and Anastasia they will return to Wonderland to visit, and they in turn give the other couple an open invitation to visit them as well. Just then, the White Rabbit calls out, Next train to Wonderland! Alice thanks him for all his help, but mostly for bringing her to Wonderland in the first place. The rabbit tells her that many people have come and gone to Wonderland, but only the most special ones have ever discovered what it's truly about. Finding love, Alice says, her hand on Cyrus's arm, but the rabbit amends her to say, finding yourself. The two couples take turns giving one another hugs before the Wonderland duo begins heading off, while Alice and Cyrus begin heading inside. Alice and Will both stop short, turn and run to one another, exchanging another heartfelt hug knowing that it could be a while before they see each other again. Alice thanks him for everything and advises him to hold on to his heart this time. He nods and advises her likewise. They then smile and he walks away a second time. Alice stays behind to watch as everyone returns to Wonderland via the White Rabbit's portal, a bittersweet smile on her face. We flash forward to a handful of years later, where Alice reads to her daughter who sits atop her lap both of them staring down at a book written by Alice. Turn to a page containing a drawing of Will and Anastasia, who rule benevolently as the White Queen and King. Alice's daughter smiles at the ending of the story, and she asks her mother what she's going to call it. Closing the book, Alice admits that she doesn't know, having hoped her daughter would help her choose. And then the little girl suggests, I think you should call it Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Alice tells her that it's a splendid idea, and her young daughter goes on to ask if the story is true. Every last word, Alice says, as Cyrus approaches them with tea and cake in hand. 
Alice assures their daughter that anything's possible in Wonderland, while the white rabbit watches them from afar. End credits. What were your guys' thoughts? So this episode was kind of a mixed bag for me. I'm mostly just glad Wonderland's over. (laughs) There were things I hated and things I actually liked. I find the entirety of the whole bit with Jafar resurrecting Anastasia to be his plaything to be absolutely disgusting, especially since even before he resurrects her, there's the heavy implication that that pervert dressed up her naked corpse because the outfit she was in the glass coffin ain't the outfit she died in. And while I know Jafar's character has objectifying women as a backbone of his entire character in the Source Disney film, it was gross. Just gross. But I would be lying if I said I didn't laugh when Nyx materialized in Ringu fashion at the end to be Jafar's undoing and then had to presumably just like stand there really awkwardly for five minutes while Alice and Cyrus made out before she could tell them that they could take the water to save Anastasia. (laughs) Because when when they do the grand shot pulling away from the battle and Alice and Cyrus kissing, Nyx is just standing there like, really? In front of my salad? And while I did have the note written here, did Alice's tacky-ass stepmom really wear white to her wedding? The ending actually did something I really loved, even though I'm often loath to give the writers of Once Upon a Time a whole lot of credit. I love that they ended it with Alice's stories being written by Alice herself, especially in the wake of everything that came out about what an absolutely horrible person Lewis Carroll was. I do actually genuinely love that showrunners did something right for a change and went No, let's give agency back to the little girl that creep took advantage of and profited off of. And I think there's something honestly beautiful in that ending, and it actually made me a little bit emotional. That's such a nice way to think of the end. Mm -hmm. It was lovely. It was a good end. It was. Alice in Wonderland is something that has been very important to me my whole life, but you, you you gotta recognize when the person who created a thing you love is a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. My last quibble is, why would the daughter question the legitimacy of her mom's story if Alice and Cyrus were to go back and visit Wonderland? <laughs> like Maybe they don't bring her. Maybe she's too little. Maybe she has to stay she's... at home each time they go. <laughs> I don't know, but why wouldn't they visit? Especially to interest their kid to Will and Anastasia, who are clearly ruling Wonderland. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know what this whole series felt like? Like when you have a group of friends and one spiral-bound notebook and one pencil. Someone starts the story and then they pass it around so each person can continue the story, regardless of how the previous person established it. (laughs) It's only 13 episodes, so I assume they knew point A to point Z, or Z for our Australian listeners. However, Amara in particular feels like a completely different character from when she was first established. And I can't help but wonder if it was more than just Alice's personality that got backpedaled in these last few episodes. I, I I know, though, if I was Jafar and I wanted to psychologically hurt Cyrus and his brothers, I, I would boast about stripping the mom. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, oh, guess what? Gross. I stripped your mom. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Never mentioned once. So, I don't know. That was that was a miss on his part. Also, in the end, I don't think we're meant to feel bad for the Sultan, which, I don't know. Who knows? It's like they knew he was going to die anyway, but they couldn't be ours to show us how he allegedly is changed. So they just tell us through him being a notable liar and trial murderer. I don't know. I was relieved when he died because I totally feared that he was going to live and like be a guest at Cyrus and Alice's wedding. I was like, no, fuck. No. So I'm actually glad that they did right by by the story overall and killed Amara and and the Sultan. (laughs) So like they put Amara's like life 
back on track in that she was, I guess, allegedly meant to pass on in that fire. But what I did enjoy the most about this series was twofold, which is like way more than I thought I was going to like. So, you know, bonus. I have, of course, enjoyed Will and Anastasia, and I think that explains itself. But I also really enjoyed the friendship between Will and Alice that the show was able to really display a platonic grown love between an adult, presumably straight woman and a presumably straight male. I think in children's shows in particular that this is tragically underrated story pairing in and of itself. And while the last two minutes of the show had more holes in it than a wedge of Swiss cheese, Alice and Will saying their heartfelt goodbyes was something that for me was really special. And I truly appreciated it. It was a really nice moment. Mm -hmm, That they both like ran to each other to give each other like that extra hug and words of gratitude. Yeah, especially since Alice reminded Will of his sister, who Mm -hmm. he lost. I don't know, their connection was special, and I ended up really liking it. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the adrenaline from this being the last episode, but I mostly liked it. I mostly liked this one. It wasn't as epic as I would have expected for a final episode of a miniseries, but I don't think it needed to be. As silly as it sounds on paper... I I did actually really like the resolution of the main conflict coming down to settling Cyrus's debt with Nyx and the water. I thought that was actually kind of, kind of clever. I liked the way that was done. It's not how I expected this to go at all. And I liked it. My sympathy for Jafar kind of went out the window in this episode when he resurrected Anastasia, a woman who he killed, then brainwashed into loving him. It was awful. And I hated it. And the show had actually presented us a much more complex Jafar than that. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised since they've gone the love or lust via magical means many times before. But I was still disappointed. It was still shitty and I didn't like it. I did not like that once upon a time. But I did like most of this episode and the moment where we're told that Nick said it was time for the Red Queen, but not for Anastasia. Mm-hmm. And giving our heroes the water to save her life, I thought that was a wonderful moment. I liked the wording there. And I'll fondly think back on Will's smile as he says, wake up sleeping beauty to her forever. It was a really sweet moment. And I also enjoyed earlier in the episode, we, we got a true love's kiss moment with the two of them. And even though I hated the reason why <laughs> it was needed, I, I love that they got the little the magic rainbow boom of true love's kiss. It was very sweet. And yeah, I just gotta say, I I really did like Alice in this one. We did actually see her grow in these last few episodes, and I was I was happy to see that. And I think it actually ties nicely into what the rabbit said that you find yourself in Wonderland. They they gave us a little bit of what I wanted to see there with Alice growing at the end. I think my fellow narrators have spoken at length about all the little details that worked really well in this episode. I I love what Lynn said about Alice having agency back in her own story, writing the story. And I love uh, what Chell said about the strong platonic friendship of Will and Alice and how that's such a such a core of the show and how it actually ended up being like this really lovely relationship. So definitely echo what both of you said there. Yeah, and I, I went into the show for Will. And by the end, I did come out of it rooting for Will, Anastasia, Cyrus, and Alice, and heck, even the White Rabbit. So that was actually a very pleasant surprise by the end. Are there a hundred things I wish this miniseries had done better? Yes, absolutely. 
so, so many things. But I thought it had a pretty decent end. And there were parts of this ride I did enjoy. All right. How about we talk about costumes? <laughs> I would commit unspeakable acts to have Alice's wedding dress. And I don't care who knows that. It was a very really beautiful pretty. dress. It's so fucking pretty. I was kind of hoping that Anastasia's, like, her, like, enchanted slash cursed Anastasia's outfit would be, like, black and glittery to kind of match Jafar. Instead, it was, like, just, like, a plain red velvet dress. Although, Lynn, you do bring up a good point. Jafar canonically has a history of putting the woman he is trying to objectify into slinky red outfits. That's true. true. (laughs) I liked everyone's outfits at the wedding. I looked really, really, really close at the mom the the stepmoms and Mm -hmm. it's like the palest lavender but like on camera yeah it looks cream so i'm just like why would you put her in that (laughs) because she's tacky she's tacky it's a school of rock moment you're tacky and i hate you (laughs) oh my gosh we'll get we'll get right back to outfits in a minute but speaking of the wedding i forgot to go i loved alice's little sister sitting on the tweedle's lap to watch the wedding oh it was oh yeah that was so cute tweedle in general the fact that he was there and having a blast I loved it. I loved everyone's outfit. <laughs> I even loved Anastasia's fascinator. <laughs> yeah, it was cute. It was good. Very, very British. Will's outfit, when, when he appears on Anastasia's balcony, it was so dashing. Mm-hmm. Like the blue prince outfit. And it was just like with the open shirt. I was just like, oh, look at him. I am not surprised that that she had made the decision that she was going to run away after after he appeared there. Especially with that speech. Oh. Yeah, the outfit was great. And I also enjoyed his special Queen of Hearts knave uniform. I like that clearly Cora gave him a better outfit than the others. <laughs> that heart belt buckle, I thought that was fun. It's because he's your little meow meow. Mm-hmm. He is. She's like, this one's my special little guy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like you both said, like Alice's wedding dress is so gorgeous. And I also liked um, the finale armor that they put Alice in. Like, she still had her, like, adventuring leathers underneath, but they gave her, like, this golden chest plate, uh, which was really pretty. And uh, I love me and Alice in armor, so that was fun. Yeah, I'm surprised you two didn't mention, like, the parallels between this and the um, the film. I mean, there's not too many but, like, other I'm, than the, Alice the gets her. I mean, that's kind of it. Okay. That's kind of it, honestly. Because I was watching that scene, and I was like... I mean, that scene was very the Tim Burton Alice film. Mm-hmm. but otherwise it it diverged a lot oh yeah, yeah the only two connections i can really think of is the army and the the um let's put alice in the loony bin but that's not until the second movie mm-hmm. yeah i was i was wondering if there was like anything that they blatantly took from that i don't know because i've never not seen too much honestly uh other so, yeah. it was really just the first episode oh okay. which also was trying very hard to be american mcgee's alice very hard <laughs> Like, I feel like arguably even more so in some ways it was trying to bank on Alice the Madness Returns. All right. Now it's time to take a trip down the rabbit hole one more time of Once Upon a Timeline. So the flashbacks in episode 10 take place in the realm of Agrabah. And the ones we see here are actually the earliest flashbacks in Agrabah that we've seen so far. And in fact, they're the oldest ones we will see in Agrabah at all in Once Upon a Time as a whole. And then the flashbacks that most closely follow it are those seen in Wonderland episode seven, where we see a young Jafar's mother pass away. 
So the next one are the flashbacks that we see in episode 11. Now those take place shortly after those seen in Wonderland episode 5, Heart of Stone, where Anastasia accepts a proposal from the Red King and leaves Will behind. And the flashbacks that most closely follow the ones seen here are those in Wonderland episode 12, where Will is now working for Korra, the Queen of Hearts. Which brings us to episode 12, uh, where the flashbacks we see there most closely follow those seen in Wonderland episode 11, as that's where Korra gains possession of Will's heart. And the flashbacks that most closely follow those from episode 12 are the ones seen in Wonderland episode 1, where we see Alice meets Cyrus immediately after Will and Anastasia snatch the White Rabbit together. And then there are no flashbacks in episode 13. Now, I do want to talk about something important about the timeline here. So the Once Upon a Time wiki states that when Will leaves Storybrooke in Wonderland episode one, that takes place during the same time as Once Upon a Time season two, episode one, Broken. And then it states that Will's time in Storybrooke during the upcoming season four of the, of the core show takes place sometime between Jafar's defeat and Alice and Cyrus's wedding. But that doesn't sit right with me. And pretty much any Once Upon a Time in Wonderland fan, as far as I can tell from what looking I have done, the most commonly accepted timeline from the fandom is that when Will leaves Storybrooke in Wonderland Episode 1, that it actually takes place after the events in Once Upon a Time Season 4. And... From what I can remember about season four, that checks out. So thank you, fandom, headcanon accepted. Because the will we see next, I believe is a will from, you know, after the time that Alice stole his heart back from Cora, And then, you know, he in turn helped her steal the right rabbit. But before the present day storyline in the show, it makes sense to me that the Will we are about to see in season four is a Will who has yet to reunite with Anastasia for very obvious reasons. It saves me peace of mind. It just it makes so much me more peace sense. Of mind because I was very curious how he fits in. So I went ahead and spoiled myself. And wow, wow. I'm glad I did because I'd be, be bashing my head against the wall repeatedly all throughout season four. So yeah. We're just going to go with the... Uh, I mean, you might do that anyway. I don't know what happens in season four. Right. I, yes, I mean, you do. You watch the whole thing. I don't remember it. <laughs> no, you do. It's fine. Accepted fanon. Absolutely. Yeah. So it just makes sense. Um, I think there are also various context clues that happen that make it very clearly before he goes back to Wonderland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, we'll learn more about that later. Now, though, it's time for Who's That Guest Star? In episodes 10 through 13, we have Leah Gibson as Nyx. Canadian dancer turned actress Leah Gibson is known for her roles on Rogue, Jessica Jones, Sacred Lies, Batwoman, and Supernatural. Raza Jaffrey as Taj. English actor Raza Jaffrey is known for his roles on MI5, Homeland, Code Black, Lost in Space, and The Serpent Queen. Good for him. Dejan Loyola as Rafi. Sri Lankan Canadian actor Loyola is known for his roles on Saving Hope, I Zombie, and Day of the Dead. And now we get to talk about our main cast. English actor Peter Gaddio as Cyrus, who has appeared on Matador, Supergirl, Queen of the South, and Yellow Jackets. 
Yellow jackets. English actor Sophie Lowe as Alice is known for her roles on The Slap, The Returned, Blow the Man Down, and Medieval. The role of Jafar was portrayed by beautiful British actor Naveen Andrews, who is best known for his role as Saeed Jarrar on Lost. He is also known for his roles in Bride and Prejudice, Planet Terror, Sense8, Instinct, and The Cleaning Lady. English actor Emma Rigby portrayed Anastasia, aka The Red Queen. Rigby is best known for her roles on Hollyoaks, Prisoner Wives, Bulletproof, and provides various voices in Castlevania. And last, but certainly not least, our little Mew Mew Will Scarlet was portrayed by good lad Michael Socha, who is easily best known for his role on Being Human. You can also find Michael in titles such as Casualty, This is England 86, 89, and 90, Chernobyl, Killers Anonymous, and As Dead As It Gets. And holy shit, his sister is Lauren Socha of Misfits fame, which yep. I didn't know. And then I look at her face and I'm like, oh my God, they are absolutely siblings. And then yeah. you realize she's oh, yeah. just shorter Michael Socha with a ponytail and boobs. Yes. Yep. <laughs> same, same accent and same fucking like sass. I love it. Oh, bless you, Salem. Bless oh, you, Salem. Salem. I heard that. Oh, no. That's because he's sitting on my lap, just sneezing. Sneezing. It's okay, baby. Even though you sneezed right on me, I still love you. Yeah, I do. All right, time for our rants and raves. I don't know. I have to take my cat to the vet tomorrow. Nothing makes me happy right now. Poor Salem has a cold. Yeah. He's got a cold. He's got the sniffles. He's he's sneezed on me many, many times as I sat here recording this episode. Poor Salem. But that's that's what being a mom is, is loving your kids even when they're gross and getting their snot on you. Yeah, but he's going to be just fine. He's already turning around. He's just got a little bit of a cold. So yeah, I have no rants or raves. <laughs> I just have a sick cat. Well, I, I do have one. I read a short story last week by Rainbow Rowell called My Rosebud Boy. And it was adorable. It's a straight up flower shop employee slash tattoo shop employee. A U of her characters from the Simon Snow trilogy. And it was adorable. It's such a fun trope to begin with that just has popped up in, you know, so many fan fictions over the years. And I had so much fun, like, reading the author, you know, of the characters that created the characters that I love, you know, writing this sweet AU for them. It was super charming. So I, I enjoyed that. So I guess I'd recommend that. And I definitely would recommend the Simon Snow trilogy, especially that first book is so good. So it's a good series. What about you, Chell? Eh, truthfully, I've been on the struggle bus as of late, so all I can really do is like, hmm, recommend The Mandalorian, woo! <laughs> and the rebooted Perry Mason show, because those two shows are kind of like the highlight of my weeks. But I got a cool new tattoo, and I'm looking forward to cat setting next week. Other than that, all I've been doing is working, I can't even get through this without laughing at myself, working on my fanon dissertation piece that I may never share with the world because I feel like it's just, you know, it's in me. It's just in me and I need to get it out there because otherwise I just lay awake at night thinking about Palemides and Camilla and how perfect they are and why they are perfect. And here's all the evidence of why they are perfect. And here's all the evidence of the nature of their relationship. And I have to share it, I think, with the world. But maybe I just, maybe I don't. Maybe it just needs to be for me. So I've been working on that, like chomping away at it. They're so good. I love 
they I love they Cam are, Cal so much. They break my heart. I love them so they much. They are legitimately my favorite characters in this series. And they are oh, the lock tomb, by the way. Oh yes, in, in <laughs> the lock they are my favorite characters in the lock tomb, and there's not a single thing that I can critique about them. They're perfect in every way. I cry about them every day. Yes. In my heart. All right. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, we return to Storybrooke as season Christ. four debuts. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Finally going to get to learn, even though technically I already do know because I watched it already, but we're going to get to know more about Elsa and the urn. Oh, yeah. Chekhov's urn. Chekhov's urn. So we'll be very excited to be back with that episode in two weeks. So see you then. So thank you everyone for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. In Wonderland. In Wonderland. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is, we did this for you, Michael Socha. You're welcome. I hope- That was a kiss to England for Michael Socha. We hope you made money- on our streaming your show. Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch. If you enjoy once upon a rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at Once Upon Rewatch. On Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. On Tumblr at Once Upon a Rewatch.tumblr.com. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. It's the end! We did it! We did it! Yay! Yay! Yay!